Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I am Peter Whittle. Now, last week, the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, declared that so-called non-crime hate incidents should no longer be recorded by the police. Now, this comes after a period when people's confidence in the police and indeed the role of the police has been a matter of controversy, whether it's about hate crime or indeed whether it's about the way in which various different protests have been policed over the past year. There does seem to be a crisis of confidence, public confidence in the police. We're going to be discussing this today and I'm very, very pleased that we have the guests that we have today. Um, Harry Miller, who has been on the channel before, he is a former police officer, won a landmark case against homicide police, uh, and he is part of the ca campaign We Are Fair Cop, and uh, the NCF's own historian and commentator, Rafe hadelman uh, Can I start with asking you, actually, Harry? Uh, you obviously were on our uh, channel some time ago, and there was an incident uh, which became very famous, actually. You, you took uh, the police to court. They came to you and said, we need to check your thinking. This was about something which, in fact, you had just, uh, I think you just liked on Twitter. But in that context, uh, what is the significance of what Priti Patel has announced? And, and what is the status of it? Okay, so in 2019, Humberside Police sent a police officer to my place of work to check my thinking as a result of tweeting things which um, somebody somewhere didn't like. Um, we battled it out with Humberside and ended up at the High, at the high Court um, in judicial review. Now, Humberside Police claimed right the way through that they had, they had approached me and recorded me for non-crime hate instance because they were following the guidance laid out by the College of Policing. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that the College of Policing didn't argue. The College of Policing put no distance at all between their guidance and Humberside's interpretation uh, of the guidance, none whatsoever. Um, so we found it very strange when the, the courts, uh, the High Court ruled that the guidance itself was legal, but following the guidance was illegal. We said that was fundamentally irrational. Um, and as a result, we, we, we were back at the Court of Appeal last, well, in March against the College of Policing. And uh, we're now in the position where we're waiting, we're waiting a ruling. Now, Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, is the sole shareholder and owner of the College of Policing because the College of Policing is a private limited company set up, I think, in around about 2012. And um, it's, it's, its role is nominally to be the professional body for the police service of England and Wales. So we have this bizarre situation now where the owner of the College of Policing has come out before the ruling and said that she wants to get rid of uh, non-crime hate incidents and, yeah. and abolish the 120,000 non-crime hate incidents that have been recorded against, they're not all against me, but against me and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just presuming yeah. 120 odd thousand others. Yeah. So it, it, it's, quite, it's quite odd and that she has preempted uh, the ruling and has preempted it in our favour. Uh, what how could you how would you describe sim most simply what a non-crime hate incident is? Yeah, a non-crime crime hate incident is any incident which falls short of being a crime, mm. but is nevertheless perceived by somebody as being 
an incident inspired by hatred. Now, what's worrying about that is that, one, there doesn't need to be an incident. Okay, when you think about of an incident, you naturally think of some argy-bargy or something or other. In my case, and in many cases, there was no incident. All there was was me expressing a view. Yeah. Uh, and I expressed a view around um, reforms, proposed reforms to the Gender Recognition Act, which in fact the government had asked for. So some of the things that I tweeted were, for instance, uh, who won the 1976 men's decathlon at the Olympics? Well, the answer is Bruce Jenner. But because he's now Caitlyn Jenner, this was perceived as being having a go at trans people. Simply asking question was recorded as being indicative of hate. Mm -hmm. And that hate was indicative of future criminality on my mm -hmm. part. Mm -hmm. So Humberside Police, following the College of Policing guidelines, took the view that it was it was necessary intervention. In other words, that unless they came and challenged my thinking, that it would likely escalate into some form of criminality. So that's what a non-crime hate incident is. But right. again, crucially, it's all down to perception. So if somebody per simply perceives that I'm motivated by hatred, that's all the police need. Mm. They don't need any evidence whatsoever. In fact, the College of Policing guidance says no, no evidence of hate is required. This is extraordinary, isn't it, Rove? I mean, basically, no evidence. This is, I think, makes it unique in English law, actually. There is no evidence required for this just subjective perception. Exactly. It's the latest attack. The other one, of course, famously now is the lack of mens rea. One doesn't need to actually have any intent now to be convicted of, of many of these sorts of hate crimes, which is yeah. goes against every aspect of the common law tradition. And Harris completely right in everything he says. Now, some people obviously are welcoming Priti Patel finally taking a stance on such an on issue, but it's risible that it's taken 10 years for a Conservative government to actually get its house in order and at least try to address this in some capacity. And the problem is the College of Policing, which quite rightly was said, is a private company. And the plan still seems to be, as far as I'm aware, that the government intends to turn this into an independent statutory body, mm. which will have even more authority and power and be more difficult to control. And this is a body which is not enforcing legislation. This is guidance, which mm. is severely lobbied by pressure groups like Stonewall and others who are influencing the College of Policing, who are together creating these, this guidance, which is then enforced. And you have this bizarre situation where the courts are supporting a lobbied guidance uh, as, if it, as if it were law. And that seems to me to be a, a major problem here. I mean, it's the College of Policing that would classify anybody who complained about a tweet from Harry as being the victim, irrespective of where they lived in the world. Yes. And Harry is the suspect, automatically criminalizing individuals. It's the College of Policing that really is at the heart of all of this. And I would much rather see Priti Patel tackling the, the College of Policing on, on, this, on this point. Yes. It is a sort of... Uh, the, the College of Policing, a private company, um, but who, who are these people, actually, Harry? I mean, you know, who... Who technically? How many? What? It, who is it? I oh, mean, we know. We know how many because one of the great things about it being a private company is that its accounts are downloadable at company's house. Yeah. And we did that a few weeks ago, and it's it's incredible. The first thing that strikes you is that most company accounts are about nine or ten pages long. There's a little bit of preamble. 
then there's the numbers and a conclusion and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Theirs is 100 pages long and the figures are buried deep, deep, deep within it. And I'm not surprised because it turns out that they do, I don't know, I think it's, if I remember rightly, about £10 million worth of actual work, in other words, invoiced work, providing training, setting exams, etc. But they've got costs of over £50 million. They've got a wage bill of £38 million, mm. And they've got 650 employees. Now, if you do the maths, that works out at a crude average of £56,000 per employee. Now, the average wage of a, of a constable in this country is around about 28,000. Right. So for every one College of Policing employee, you could have two police constables. But, and what do they do? We've absolutely no idea what they do. I call them a hate factory, the national hate factory, because it seems to me that the only thing that they do is think up new, more numerous ways of generating hate. Mm-hmm. They set they set courses for police officers, and police officers then go out and tell people how to recognise hate. Mm. And hate is defined, bizarrely again, as antagonism, mm. um, unfriendliness, dislike, mm. ill will. In other words, everyday human emotions have been classified by these lunatics at the College of Policing as being hateful, as being hostility. And then from that position, they say that if you express anything and anybody thinks that you're motivated by ill will, dislike, you know, um, antagonism, then that classes as hate. And therefore, there is a justification to send a police officer to your door, or at the very least, to record you on a database of hate. We we say that is fundamentally wrong. It's evil. It is undemocratic. We live in a democracy, and our democracy is predicated on the notion of antagonism. You have an idea, I don't like it, we have a stand-up row or a sit-down row, and we eventually work it out. Well, under the College of Policing guidance, the antagonism that is just a natural process of disagreement and is to be celebrated in a democracy has been de de facto criminalised. There's a problem also that, you know, the idea that things are going to get any better is is for the birds, unless the government takes steps here, because... (laughs) The College of Policing has now made it a requirement as of last year for all future police to have a university degree. It's a, pre- it's, a, it's a prerequisite and a requirement. Now, at the current time, there's a hope at least or a thinking that the majority of police have common, enough common sense to know that a lot of the nonsense they hear from their executive and their elites is, act- is, is complete nonsense. Once you've got generation after generation coming up through the university system being indoctrinated by the College of Policing's courses, as you've seen in our universities as well, you can only see this problem growing exponentially. It's, it's a huge problem arising unless this, unless this government takes it into, into hand. I think, this is the, yes, exactly. The, the point you make as well about the what uh, hate means, or they have widened it. and It's basically widening, isn't it? So yes. As you say, now it's sort of dislike and everything. But the point is, is... Surely this is a problem of the legal system, not specifically the police, is it not? I mean, it's, it's, it's parliament and it's the legal system that enshrines hate laws. The police presumably just have to enforce them. Well, well no, that's not true, is it? Because we don't, we don't really have hate laws in this country. What we have at the moment is a, an uplift at sentencing if it can be shown that a criminal action was motivated by hatred right. towards a particular group and I think that whilst it's 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 problematic 
I can't see the sense in it. For instance, if I were to attack, attack somebody who is a Jew and thump them in the face, then that's terrible on a personal level for them. If I attack them because they are a Jew or because they are a Muslim or because they are a woman, and, and if the purpose is not only to hurt them, but to send a, a message throughout their entire community that because of your protect, because of your characteristic, it could be you. Then I can see I can see some sense in uplifting at sentence um, if you're found guilty of that. Would you do? Would you agree with that? Yeah, but that's the solution. You don't need to have hate crime laws which actually identify specific groups because once you start to identify specific groups, you've left out other groups who will then feel mm -hmm. as if they're being hard done by. For example, take the situation of a Jew walking down the street who's punched because he's a Jew, and then there's a fat kid or a ginger kid who's, packed, who's punched because he's a fat kid or a ginger kid. Now, both get severe injuries, identical injuries. How would you think this, that this chap would feel knowing that this person got more of a, that the, the culprit got more of a sentence because of the fact that this person was Jewish? Rather than doing that the old traditional way, this goes back, you know, 60 years when there, was, there, were, there were four teddy boys in Notting Hill who attacked any black person that they saw. And the judge at the time said, you are free to think whatever you want. You are free to say whatever you want. You are free to get enraged inside. But once you act upon that, then you will have aggravating sentences put onto you. And so you don't need to identify groups. You can just say at the time of sentencing and put that upswing in there and say that there are aggravating causes here, whether you are fat or ginger or a Jew is irrespective of that. I think the problem is, though, surely, is that, you know, you say that you can see a logic in that situation, you know, that, but uh, isn't the whole problem with this is that it's entirely on the perception of the supposed victim. I mean, you know, that one surely could have, you know, what you are, what you would prefer, i.e. that, you know, that there is a situation where you're punching a Jewish person because they're Jewish or whatever, but it's entirely, the whole problem seems to rise, it's entirely on the perception of that person. Well, I, I, well, I think that what we need to have is that the, the burden of proof remains with the state, that there remains a presumption of innocence. And even if you're found guilty of a crime against person A against person B, who happens to be Jewish or Muslim or, or what have yeah. you, I think, I think that you're still required to then prove that in that attack, there was meant to be a wider chilling effect before you're justified in an uplift of sentence. Now, it, it's quite a hard, it's quite a high bar to reach, mm. but that's for the state to sort out. I don't think we can drop our standards and just simply go with perception when we start sentencing people. No, no. Do you think there's a general problem about the, 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 with the whole notion of policing by consent, which is how we do it. This is going right back to Robert Peel, isn't it? Uh, do you think we still have policing by consent? Well, this is actually the fundamental issue, isn't mm. it? Because the, the public pay the wages of the police. We, our police force is very different to many of the forces you see in Europe, which are paramilitary forces. If you go to Italy and elsewhere, if you go to the French, you have two police forces, one is a paramilitary force. Our police force are traditionally citizens in uniform. Yeah. And the whole principle there is that they are enacting, they are enforcing laws without fear or favour. It was the fifth rule of Sir Robert Peel's policing was that you apply the law equally and impartially to everybody there. And when they see things like this, when they see things like protests, the double standards of uh, multi-tiered policing, 
it offends that idea of natural justice. It, yeah. it offends that idea of fairness. And we've come a long way from Dixon of Dog Green. You know, old viewers may remember the old policeman in the 60s bicycling. Mm -hmm. yeah. The local constabulary had control mm -hmm. deciding what to do, whether you get a clip around the ear roll or whether you get a night, a night behind bars. That's all gone now. And what people are seeing is, in many respects, it's because of the Human Rights Act. The Human Rights Act incorporated uh, the European Convention into it, and it still remains part of our law now, which gives, for example, the police a lot of leeway in t deciding whether or not to get involved in certain protests. Mm. And once you start doing that, you're politicizing an institution. And once you politicize an institution, you immediately divide the population. And once you divide the population, you, you dissolve those two fundamental pillars, trust and legitimacy, because the public need to be sh assured that what's being done is lawful, just, and is necessary. And in terms of things like the hate crime incidents, there's no concept of that whatsoever. I could critique the person living next to me on Twitter and say, look at the, this messy bug is junk in his front garden. Yeah. And because he's Chinese, the person across the street could report me for having committed a hate crime. I may never have seen the person in my life. Now that offends people. And that's why you're seeing policing at a very low level. Because as I said, at the end of the day, what do we want? The British public know all of this is nonsense. The British public wants policemen to catch burglars, to catch robbers, put them in jail, and if their car is stolen, to get their car back, rather than not investigating. Whereas you have a 97% chance of, um, of getting away with burglary if you commit it. With robbery, it's around 97 or 96%. You've got a 2% chance of getting your car back or, or seeing someone prosecuted for stealing your car. And yet the College of Policing has identified social media posts as a priority. Yes. When you've had, you know, what, close to 100,000 or 120,000 120, yeah. hate, hate crime incidents at the same time that violent crime is increasing. And of course, the public are looking at this and thinking something is rotten. Well, you mentioned there actually this uh, selective policing issue, which I think is really, you know, sort of basically concentrated a lot of people's minds. Mm. Um, it's something I've gone on about in London Assembly. Uh, but... Broadly speaking, would you, Harry, agree with? Is it just a, a is it an incorrect perception, or or are people right to believe that certain protests seem to be tolerated or treated in a certain way as opposed to others? Well, actually, the the the, the sniff test is not whether they were. The, the sniff test is whether it looks like they were, mm. because the College of Policing well, not the College of Policing guidelines, the Code of Ethics states that. Policemen should not get involved in politics, nor give the impression of being involved in politics. Now, I think they give the impression of being involved in politics all the time. Now, one of the problems that we have is I think it's prior to 2002, uh, a new constable would take the oath of attestation and they would swear to the Queen to uphold the law. Since 2002, they swear to uphold the law and human rights. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Because the only human rights that a police officer should be enforcing are those that have been adopted by law. And so we have this bizarre situation where all you need to do with a protest is call it a human rights issue. And you've already got the police half on side because they have, they have committed, they've sworn to the Queen to uphold human rights. So there isn't, there isn't an objective standard anymore. There's law and human rights. So, but that's what you just said, isn't it? That yeah. these were incorporated, actually, that the Human Rights Act. Under the Human yeah. Rights Act. But as I said, in terms of protests, you know, police superintendents and so forth, now under the Human Rights Act, because of the, it's not stated specifically in the legislation, but through court rulings, they now have this ability. They can decide 
whether or not they want to intervene in a protest. And it's a personal subjective choice of theirs. So if they'd like a protest, then, then you saw this in, in Cambridge when you had Extinction Rebellion blocking highways. The, the police there said, well, yes, they have actually blocked the highway. This isn't a criminal act, but they're not causing any it's a peaceful protest. Now, why are they making the subjective choice when you see what they're doing, for example, to the anti-lockdown protesters or when you see when you see uh, what they did in Clapham with the Sarah Everard vigil. And then again with Edward Coulston in Bristol, you had the police standing by as the statue was toppled, a clear act of criminal damage, and yet choosing not... Now, those are decisions made because of the Human Rights Act. You see, but, the, but, but I, would, I would say there's the human rights... There's the, there are human rights which are incorporated into law, and there are human rights which are just tagged as human rights. So you see, you see the police saying... Trans rights are human rights. Mm. Black lives are human rights. Extin uh, the, the human, the, the um, extinction rebellion thing is a human right matter. Mm. So you, it's very easy to tag human rights onto a protest or an action that's not em embodied in law, and suddenly you have a police force that feels as though it's doing its duty by supporting this cause or that cause, even though there is no basis for it in law. That that's the problem. So. For me, I would abolish, absolutely abolish that aspect of, of the oath of attestation. For me, the litmus test is this. I say, do we know what the Queen thinks about a subject? And if we don't know what Her Majesty thinks about a subject, we don't need to know what a Chief Constable thinks about a subject. Okay. That's, that's the test. And mm -hmm. that's why every officer swears to the Queen, because it's to do mm -hmm. with the separation of powers. And if Lizzie, if we don't know what Lizzie thinks, then we don't know what we don't need to know what the police think. It needs to be as bland and as neutral as that. Well, in which that's, case, that's an important point. Yeah, sorry. In which case, it's sort of diverged about as far as it can diverge, isn't it? The army and the police are servants of the crown of, of Her Majesty mm. the Queen, right? It's, the Prime Minister has no control. They're, they're not loyal to the Prime Minister yeah, yeah. or to the government of the time. But what's happened? is not only is everything that Harry said correct, but also you have government targets now influencing police decisions. And the police, rather, rather than protecting the individuals, they're now trying to placate special interest groups and meet government targets and pr government priorities, which are often at odds with the will of the British public. And so we, all, we know from all the polls that Black Lives Matter is not popular in the country. We know from the polls that transgender rights and, and are an being an infringement on women's rights is a hot topic which the majority of the public are uncomfortable with. And yet the police are deliberately going against the public vein. And that, of course, erodes public consent. Do you actually think, therefore, I mean, do you, you said the perception is all important, and I, I would agree with you. Do you think, do you agree that if you take two examples, the cenotaph, where, for example, Extinction Rebellion on Remembrance Day managed to get right, right there and stand there for about between 10 and 20 minutes, something like that. And yet only the week after, I believe it was, if memory serves me, uh, there was a woman who was an anti-lockdown protester outside Parliament. She was bundled unceremoniously into the back of the van. And the MP, I think it might have been Charles Walker, mm -hmm. uh, made a big deal about it in, in Sir Charles Walker in Parliament. Now, to me, I'm sorry, that's quite clear. They're both in the same, as it were, area. Yeah. Those were two different forms of policing. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And it, it looks political because it is political. Yeah, yeah. And, and what they say is that, uh, no, uh, we, were, we were just simply making operational decisions. Well, that will wash now and again. That will wash now and again. But when 
consistently your operational decisions seem to favour one group over another, then it no longer passes the sniff test. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that's why PCCs, I think it's incumbent on PCCs to haul in their chief constables and say, no more, matey. I am, you are serving the public. Your locus of control is the law and the public. Not Pretty Patel, not Stonewall, not anybody. It's the law and it's the public. And unless you shape up, you're getting sacked. The people are going to sack you. This doesn't actually seem to happen though, does it? Because I mean, you know, people can see this is sort of very, very clearly. And I think a lot of people, you know, particularly when it comes to the demonstrations, they were just horrified to see policemen taking the knee. I mean, you presumably think they were wrong to take the knee, do you? Well, for the very same reason that, that Harry explained, the Queen never takes an opinion and the entire nation can then support the Queen for that. Once you have a political stance, you immediately divide the public. And the police must never be divisive. The police are there for everybody to feel as if they are their champion when they need them. And as soon as you take a position on anything, you immediately alienate people. And that is the most damaging thing you can do. And of course, the the monarchy and the police were traditionally two of the greatest institutions that we had in this country. The police were renowned around the world as being the best in the world if you were a British Bobby, you know. Mm-hmm. The nightmare scenario was you had a German policeman and a British cook and, you know, in the, in the ideal European <laughs> Union. Um, but, you know, having, having a British policeman was, you know, was, was, was the, the, sort of the, the golden ticket yeah. to policing. And we founded the police force around the world, for, for example. I think the thing is, when you mentioned Edward Coulson, you know, the, when the statue went in, I was personally horrified to see, and I can't remember his name, but the quite senior guy who sort of stood by and said, we decided that this was the best course of action, right? Again, you sort of say an operational thing, maybe. Um, But in fact, uh, his whole demeanor and manner suggested sympathy with what was going on, you know, this this guy. And this was, you were almost appalled by this, actually. It's almost that they were sort of letting and helping it happen. You know, and I think this is, people can't quite work out this is the police you're meant to actually be totally, you know, defending our public monuments. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Les Miserables. Right. And um, in Les Miserables, I, I'm, I'm always rather keen on the, the character of Javert, the, the police officer, yeah. because he doesn't let emotion overwhelm him. Um, unless until the very end when he sort of throws himself off a bridge. Uh, but he, he's dedicated to up, upholding the law. And that guy stole some bread. It's against the law and I'm going to track him down. That's it. I'm tracking it down because I'm not, this is not personal. This is the law. This is the law. And quite frankly, we want a few more police officers like that. Yeah. Who are dispassionate. Yeah. We need to send them all to Les Mis- you know, Shut down the College of Policing, send them all to see Les Miserables, and then have them back for a seminar and tell them how policing should be. That's what we need to do. Well, as it stands at the moment, the, the most common thing I hear, or when I was on the assembly, the same thing was, oh, well, it's the top brass, the ordinary guys on the beat, if there is a beat, you know, are not like this. They're as demoralised as anybody. I'm not sure whether that... I. I would go along with that. I still think it's the case for a large portion, but I think the segment who have common sense, let's put it that way, is getting smaller and smaller as time goes on. And I go back to my earlier point, once the College of Policing has said that you have to have a university degree, 
you're drawing your talent from an entirely different pool and you're drawing your talent from a group of people who have been through yet another one of these indoctrination camps, essentially. I mean, that's what we're dealing with, let's be honest about it. And so, you, so the final end product is very different from the policeman of 20 years ago. I mean, I can only imagine, you know, Regan from the Sweeney having a look at today's police force and seeing and, and, and seeing it as it is. And it's, you know, and, and the, as I said, it's the, the College of Policing is, is, a, is the problem here. And to, ca- to continue to have them creating the training programs, creating the guidance. I mean, you know, you might as well ask Gary Glitter to write safeguarding for primary schools. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's basically what we're dealing with at this time, you know? No, no, I, I, I agree. It's quite interesting, though, because I think the, re- the, the whole push to recruit university graduates is because they want the opposites of critical thinkers. They want people who have the very opposite of common sense. Um, and I know this because after the... After the um, as we were prodding and poking the uh, the cadaver of Humberside's failed defence, I had coffee with the uh, the chief constable of Humberside and said, you know, he's a good cop, local cop, rose through the ranks locally, great fella in so many ways. I said, look, Lee, I, I kind of get why one enthusi- over-enthusiastic constable got it wrong. Mm-hmm. I get that. What I don't understand is, as this rose up through the ranks and it became a source of national and international outrage, why did a more senior officer not step in and apply some common sense? Yeah. And the chief constable looked me square in the eye and he said, Harry, you've got to understand, common sense is not an appropriate tool for a police officer because common sense leads to unpredictable outcomes. What we need is more guidance. Ooh. I couldn't, I could not believe that he said that without any sense of irony at all. Bearing in mind, following the guidance for him had resulted in his force being likened to the Gestapo. I, I said to him, I said, but Lee, that doesn't make sense. Most normal people don't need guidance not to behave like the Stasi, the Cheka and, and, and the Gestapo. And here you are wanting more and eschewing common sense. Yeah. It makes it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. That's that's a fundamentally sh- shocking thing to hear. Yeah, you know, that the Chilling. police believe that they are incapable of applying common sense without guidance, you know. Mm. I mean, traditionally, local constabularies were independents and common sense was their bread and butter. That's how mm. they went about it. Their, um, their their daily duties. Well, well the, th- the thing is, the whole of British law is predicated on common sense because common law is predicated mm. on common sense where the state trusts us to do and say what we will up until the point that they specifically say this far and no further. We're not like the Napoleonic Roman countries where they dictate what we can do. We're free to do, free to say, free to think, right up until a specific point. So the very idea that common law is not appropriate when our entire nation is built upon the notion of common sense Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it's causing an absolute schism in society. And it's creating a police force which is becoming simply a servant on who can write the loudest guidance. That is not what policing is about. And of course, in the common law, the idea that the common law has no place for common sense is, is ridiculous. It's the reasonable man. It's the, it's the man on the clapham on the exactly. bus. Yeah, exactly. You know, applying common sense rules, or you can call it natural justice. Yeah. And when you see things like hate crime incidents, you know that there's no natural justice. You know that there's common sense. And it beggars belief that the police force don't see this and or don't see how it's unjust. Or don't see how damaging it is for me. I mean, I had seen that the long, the long litany of police um, misconduct and incompetence over the years. But it was in 2018 when I saw the police doing it to themselves in the most 
in a jaw-dropping manner when a police superintendent in charge of anti-corruption was delivering a talk to his crew and told them, being in anti-corruption, they needed to be whiter than white. And he was suspended for, for making a racist remark. Now, anybody in their right mind knows whiter than white is sort of a Daz Purcell commercial, you know, yeah, with, yeah, with, the, yeah. with Danny, whatever his name is, you know. And yet here was this man who actually had to go off and uh, have his career sullied for God knows how long while he did an investigation. And then you had uh, this, this black woman who had over 30 years experience in the police her sister was concerned about a viral video showing indecent images and she wanted the perpetrator who created it to be arrested. So she forwarded it to her sister. Her sister didn't request this video. Her sister didn't even open it. And she was arrested and convicted and ended up with a criminal record, had to do a couple of hundred hours of community service for being in possession of an indecent image. This is a senior black woman in the police force. What it, the problem really, surely, is... is in this country, as opposed to Europe, there was always this idea that the police had somehow come out of, you know, ordinary people, the yeah. sort of working class, if you like, working yeah. class. Uh, that's why they've always had, always had a different attitude. It's been very top down yeah. uh, in in Europe. That is something I feel is not the case anymore. I mean, you know, whether it's because of university degrees or whatever it is, or whether they're more middle class or whatever, there is this sort of a feeling that somehow. I don't, for example, feel anymore that the police are on my side, particularly. I, I don't personally feel it. I mean, would you say that the police are, the run-of-the-mill police are different to when you were in the force, Harry? Oh, absolutely, because back in the day, you would be trusted to go out and, you know, patrol your beat and deal with things in a common sense manner. But I, I would blame Tony Blair for a lot of this because mm. introducing sort of Blair Blairite managerialism into absolutely every area of society, mm. it's no good anymore to simply, you know, come across an altercation and um, sort it out there and then on the street and then write in your notebooks, two people were given advice. That's it. Mm. Because you can't account for that. It doesn't fit into a statistic. So now we have the ridiculous situation where in that situation, given exactly the same situation, the police would have to do something, make an arrest, create, generate a non-crime hate incident, do something to, to show what they had done in that time. Because simply trusting them to write it in their notebook doesn't cut the mustard anymore. No, no. Doesn't cut the mustard anymore. I was chatting to um, Alan Robinson from Thames Valley uh, yesterday, who's standing for PCC. 25 years service. And he said he finally gave up gave up the ghost with policing when he went to uh, attend a couple, two blokes who were having a bit of an altercation on the street. And he said back in 1991 or whenever, it, whenever he'd simply have done that. Offered them advice, 20 minutes advice. They would have both gone away with a flea in the rear and that would have been it. Not allowed to do that anymore mm -hmm. because it doesn't generate a statistic. Yeah. So I said, how much time did you spend in total dealing with that incident? Mm -hmm. They said, well, it was five hours of his, his time. And because they had to drive somewhere, it was three hours of another officer's time. So something that should have been sorted in 20 minutes mm. took over eight hours and left somebody with a criminal record. That is absolute nonsense. And what the College of Policing are insisting is having a bunch of policing robots, robocops, who will come in and simply unthinkingly, uncritically apply mm guidance. And that's why we say 
It's fundamentally un-British. Guidance, as far as I'm concerned, is un-British. And we also can't underestimate the impact that the McPherson report into the Stephen Lawrence inquiry Just about had. to ask you that. In 1999, the report came mm. out. Now, undeniably, there were racist elements within the police force and within society at large. Britain is a much more different, more different place today than it was back then. And so there needed to be issues addressed. There needed to be some sort of change or transformation mm. to take place within the police force. But the way in which the police have reacted in subsequent years has been so, so far to, to, to the extreme that it goes beyond any idea of, of proportionality at all. And this is idea now where as soon as you make a complaint, you are automatically a victim. It's this idea of victimhood that's seeped into the police force as well. And, and wanting to be seen to be open and inclusive has become such a, a mantra that you do have the, these, these robocops who are enforcing guidance without any idea of common sense and who do want to wear the lanyard of pride or, wear the, or take the knee to, to Black Lives Matter or indeed to, um, to go after anybody who is accused of paedophilia as with Operation U-Tree or we saw with the, the collapsed Westminster paedophile ring where you had nonsensical accusations being followed up as, as if they were gospel when it was patently clear to anybody who um, heard the allegations that had been made about Edward Heath were obviously fake and false and the product of a, of a diseased mind to the police. These were, you know, arguments which had credence. These were accusations that needed to be followed up on. And that's because of this blinkered, brainwashed thinking. And it's actually quite scary to me to think that the police of our country actually hold these views or believe that their conduct in all of these cases is something that they don't need to apologise for. With that Stephen Lawrence uh, example, there, to me that is overpowering. The that that charged institutionalised racism, which we'd never heard actually up until that point about anything. It seems to me that the police's history since then is just characterised by a desire to move as far away as that from that as possible. That the damage done to to general morale was. Extraordinary, then. Would you agree with that? Well, it, it, it's a false. It's a it's a false mis, It's a false reading of the McPherson report. Yeah, that's it. It's a willfully yeah. false reading because what McPherson was saying is that culturally, the police viewed at the time um, the black community mm, either as perpetrators of crime or complicit in their own victimhood. And what what McPherson said was that you police officers, you need to hold up a mirror to your own attitudes. And that's a good thing. But of course, what the police have done, rather than holding up a mirror to their own attitudes, yeah. they've simply held up a mirror to our attitudes. They've deflected it entirely. And when where McPherson was asking them to check their thinking, they've just twisted it to check our thinking. Mm. It's a complete and utter perversion of what McPherson meant. And when, when McPherson said, police officers, you need to believe reports without evidence. What he meant was, when a black community leader says, look mate, we're getting a lot of problem from this gang or that people or what have you, we're being ignored by the police. What you can't do is go, well, unless you can provide me with the proof, we're not gonna take any notice of you. That's what McPherson meant, but we've corrupted it to this idea that anything that any perception that anybody has must be believed, except even that's not true. Because again, it's, all perceptions are equal, but some perceptions are more equal than others. You know, my, my perception isn't counted for nothing. Mm. It, it, it doesn't count at all. When I, when I write to the police and say, you carrying that lanyard on your uniform or flying that flag, that offends me. 
then I'm dismissed. My perception is simply dismissed. Mm. But when I, when I make a tweet uh, in favour of women or in favour of keeping the GRA as it is, then the, the, the person perceiving me as a hater, that's taken as gospel by the police. So th this, is, this is where we're at, and it's entirely wrong. This is all because of protected characteristics, isn't it? I mean, that, that's what it is. is that well, well, you say protected characteristics. Of course, the, um, the, the Equality Act 2010 names nine protected characteristics, but the College of Policing, in their wisdom, have whittled that down to four protected characteristics plus one made-up one. So, we, so we've, got, we've got gender identity as a protected characteristic or a monitored strand in the College of Policing guidance. That has no basis in law whatsoever because mm. the protected characteristic is holding or intending to hold a gender recognition certificate. Yeah. So they've, they, they've, they've, they've taken it upon themselves simply to, we're not bothered about them. You know, we'll, only, we'll cut it down from nine to four and then add one that we've made up. This is what the College of Policing do. And that's why they need shutting down. I think that there is a level of confusion generally now, which resulted very, it was a case recently just of, uh, it was a rainbow flag, um, uh, sort of billboard, you know, mobile, mobile police billboard. On the Wirral. Yeah, in the Wirral, with officers around it. And I think the slogan was something like, being offensive is an offence or yeah. something like that, yeah. which is entirely wrong. And they actually apologised, but they, the mere fact that they could go out and do this was extraordinary. I thought. And, and again, Peter, if it was if it was a bunch of, you know, uh, PCSOs had been on a community course and said, OK, you've got the afternoon to go and put something into action. Yeah. And they'd done that. You could forgive them. But there was an inspector standing with them with a huge, great stick, by yes, the way, yes. um, who thought it was clearly fine. We don't want inspectors who think that you can parade on a 10 foot billboard and out and out lie. We don't want that. Well, look, uh, on that note, we'll have to uh, end it. Uh, thank you very, very much, Harry Miller. Thank you, Rafe. And um, we shall see you next week on Counterculture. But in the meantime, of course, please remember to subscribe, won't you? Very simple. You know, you go to where it says subscribe, it's totally free. Next door, there is that bell. Press on that and you'll get notifications. Uh, so I do hope you do that. Thank you once again and see you next week. Bye.